Welcome to the Curvebeam AI Cast, bringing you the future of orthopedics and bone health. Hi, I'm Dr. Lou Schoen, and I'm here for Curvebeam AI Cast for another adventure in understanding weight-bearing CT. And today, as our esteemed guest, we have Blake Moore. What could somebody ask for than just having some that something more? So we got something more for you today, uh, Dr. Blake Moore. Uh, What's, what, what are you all about? What, what's your background? Well, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to be on the podcast. I didn't know it was going to be videotaped, so uh, I thought it was You're just looking radio, great. I had You're to change real great. quick, and yeah. uh, I'm, I'm ready for it. But uh, yeah, so I'm an orthopedic foot and ankle surgeon. I'm in Virginia Beach, Virginia, um, and uh, we've been using weight-bearing CT scan for four years. It's an exciting technology, and we love it. Um, so I'm excited to be here on the podcast. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Now, you uh, grew up in upstate New York. Correct. Yeah, I'm from Albany originally. Right. And I was I, I did six years of my life in Albany, so it's a, it's it's near and dear to me. So uh, you grew up there, uh, and uh, how did you end up in Virginia? Um, so after I finished medical school at Albany Med, I did my residency at Geisinger Medical Center in, in Pennsylvania, and then I did a uh, fellowship with uh, Paul Giuliano and at Penn State. Um, my senior partner at in Virginia is Michael Campbell. He did the same residency and same fellowship. So uh, I saw he was having good success in Virginia and they had an opening there and we were already good friends. So uh, I kind of followed him down there and um, I've been there since. So about nine years in practice now. That's great. And you know, you, the two of you are my grandchildren. You know that. <laughs> uh, Paul Giuliano was, was my fellow it, it, back, in, back in the days. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so we're all... Uh, Before there was even x-rays. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that's great to have you on board, grandchild. Uh, so tell us about uh, how you discovered weight-bearing CAT scan. Uh, what was the first encounter? Yeah, so I don't know if I know the exact first time that I saw it, but I remember thinking it was really cool and that I had to have it. Um, and uh, that was probably about two or three years before we actually got our weight-bearing CT scanner. Um, but I remember seeing images, I think it might've been in a journal or it might've been at a meeting um, sort of, you know, in 2016, 2017, sort of the earlier days of, of weight-bearing CT scan before it's really caught on more recently. And I remember seeing the images and said, wow, that would be really neat if we could get that. Um, so what, what, what made it appealing to you? What was, what was striking? Well, I think just the basic premise of having physiologic weight on the limb that you're trying to evaluate and the importance of that. Because Certainly, you know, a patient that weighs 300 pounds and is putting pressure on a plano valgus foot is going to have a very different orientation of the anatomy compared to somebody that's 120 pounds. When you're getting a traditional non-weight-bearing CT, I mean, you really can't differentiate that importance. Um, and so particularly, at, and I don't know if you've experienced this too, but when you're looking at subfibular impingement um, and the lateral shift that you can see with the calcaneus abutting up against the fibula, I mean, those images are just remarkable on weight-bearing CT scan, and it's almost never captured on, you know, traditional CT scanners. Yeah, scanners. I think around the subtalar joint in particular, medially or laterally, we, we get a lot of information that we didn't even know was capturable. Now we can see it and quantify it. So that's very exciting. Does that change the way you do surgery, getting this information? You know, I don't know if it changes the way I do surgery. It doesn't change the procedure per se, although I think in some rare circumstances it does change that. But I think I do a better job. I think I do the same surgery but better. Um, do you do it, uh, do you do scans post-op routinely? Not routinely, uh, but certainly if we're worried about, you know, has something fused, that's a great indication to get a post-op CT scan. 
Um, for some research purposes, we do get uh, standard post-operative CT scans. So I'm doing a, a study on syndesmosis right now. And so we're getting CT scans at six weeks and three months post-operatively in those patients. Um, for Halx valgus patients, I think sometimes to look at sesamoid position post-operatively, uh, more for a research purpose than any type of clinical indication. Although, you know, unless it's really bad, you're not going to go back and revise somebody because the sesamoids aren't just perfect. But you can get a lot of extremely useful information uh, from that. And I think, you know, in terms of self-improvement and just general edification, it's good to get some post-operative CT scans and see if you've really accomplished the goals that you meant to set out to, uh, to do when you were in the operating room. So it's possible through your research endeavors that you will then see things that you weren't aware that you were doing optimally or that you can do better. Um, and correlating that with the clinical outcomes, obviously, is something that you're going to be doing naturally, even though your study may be just looking at the space, you're, you're, you're looking at the patient. Correct. I mean, anytime you have a patient that has a, a poor outcome or something unexpected, you certainly need to have some introspection. Um, as to why that happened, and then aggressively pursue, you know, uh, uh, that to a to a better outcome. And I think that that's actually a very interesting, important point. Sometimes we have a, a bad outcome, and we're not sure why. And uh, with the weight bearing CAT scan, you really get a lot of information that you wouldn't get with any other study. And so you may be the one to discover the why. Uh, that could be incredibly impactful for a patient who might be otherwise a little bit disillusioned, right? So if you found something and said, wow, oh, I see this screw is a little long or I see this bone still a little saggy, mm -hmm. and then you bring it up, yes, it's a difficult discussion, but better you than your, your best friend next door who wants to eat your lunch. Correct. I mean, I think, you know, a picture tells a thousand words. A CT scan is, you know, 500 pictures. And so you can get a lot of information um, from a post-operative CT scan, and, and you know certainly if you can find some things that you didn't expect to see. Do patients uh, appreciate these images? Are you able to show it to them and, and, and teach them better, you think, than a regular conventional x-rays? Yeah, I think the three-dimensional aspect of it appeals to patients. Um, oftentimes, I don't go through QView to show them their QView images in 3D, but even on the DICOM images when you scan through, you, know, you can orient and, and teach patients uh, uh, pretty effectively as to what their anatomy is, what's, what's normal, what's not normal. Um, and particularly with uh, uh, the lineup CT where you have a contralateral normal limb typically included in the image, it's really useful to differentiate side to side. Yeah, definitely. Now, um, let's talk about imaging systems that people have used in private practice. So we have uh, x-ray, of course, everybody has that in private practice. And then in the last 30 years, there are some people who would have uh, an MRI and some people have ultrasound. Uh, some people had a, a conventional CAT scan if they were affiliated with a big enough department or group, uh, but that was less common. Uh, so tell me about your adventure looking at ancillary technologies in this way. Did your group ever entertain getting an MRI or, a, or, or an ultrasound that maybe some interesting other technologies. Right. So I've been in, in this group, you know, since I finished uh, my fellowship, so about nine years. But prior to my arrival, I know they had petitioned for a certificate of need. Um, and I practice in Virginia, which is a certificate of need state, where we need to petition the state government for um, certain technology and CT scan and MRI as part of that. Ultrasound is not. Weight-bearing CT scan falls under the purview of the, of the certificate of need at CON. Um, 
previously had tried and unsuccessfully had tried to get an MRI, which sometimes could be an expensive endeavor. So even applying for the CON, I think, is you know several thousands of dollars. Um, and so my group was a little hesitant to um, even think about going after another CON to get weight-bearing CT scan. Uh, my partner uh, and I, you know, are two very busy foot and ankle surgeons, and we're very excited about the possibility of CON. And so we implored the group. We put together a prospectus for the group, how we thought this could be profitable for our group. Um, and then uh, with Curvebeam, we're able to uh, find a lawyer that had previously in Virginia um, applied for and had obtained a CON um, because uh, the uh, CT scan, the curved beam CT scan is weight bearing. It's substantially different enough in the eyes of the state government from conventional CT scans um, that they, we were able to get a CON uh, in our area. Who, who would be uh, the, the parties that would block you? And maybe in your state it was different, but uh, whatever, the, whatever these technologies are, who who are the who are the people who are have vested interest in keeping you from getting the weight bearing right. cat scan? I mean, so it's all the people that already have imaging modalities in that area. So it would be other groups that have a CT scanner. It would be other groups that uh, have uh, MRI or other advanced imaging. Um, so sometimes large radiology groups or large hospital groups are usually the um, the ones that uh, would stand to uh, least benefit from you acquiring a CT scanner. And do they kind of have some collusion when it comes to an individual coming to the government and saying, hey, we need a certificate of need. Uh, This is weight bearing. It's exciting. Nobody else has it. We're getting great information, better patient outcomes. Uh, And then you meet this this stonewall. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, what 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 is that? uh, What goes on there? Yeah. And and so it's hard to know what happens behind closed doors and, you know, what happens uh, in these other meetings. And certainly the hospital lobby is very powerful um, in many states, certainly much more aggressive than, say, the, uh, you know, the Virginia Orthopedic Society or some of the other societies, the the Medical Society of Virginia, for instance. um, You know, the lobby is just not quite as uh, aggressive and, and large and the coffers are not as big. So, um, you would think that there's probably some conversations that are had with uh, uh, you know, the, the state government um, uh, regarding these uh, applications when they go in and they're asked to you know, weigh in about their opinion. But, but it went through pretty smoothly. It did. We, we did talk with the hospital beforehand um, and we talked with the other radiology group in our area about our interest in acquiring a weight-bearing CT scanner and they did not seem to have much opposition to it, which was very helpful. Um, and so we, we kind of let them know ahead of time to test the waters. Um, and they wanted some assurance that we were just going to be doing it for our patients. We weren't going to be soliciting um, other patients from other practices or from outside our area to come in for, for imaging. Um, and so that was part of our application to the CON. We also put in a, a uh, provision that we would provide some charity care. So um, uh, 5 to 10% of the CT scans that our group does are, are charity. That's great. Um, and uh, in terms of the um, the involvement with radiology in general, you have in Virginia a, a, a mandate or a need to have a radiologist be your medical director of imaging? So I'm not sure that you need to be a radiologist or have uh, finished a radiology uh, graduate program or fellowship, but you need to have um, certain continued medical education credits, which are very difficult to get if you're not a radiologist. And so I had looked into acting as the medical director for my group, but uh, I 
felt that it was probably not worthwhile. So we actually contracted with a, uh, um, the radiology group in our area and uh, one of the radiologists there that we have a great relationship with that was previously reading our conventional CT scans now acts as our medical director. And then that group also reads the CT scans for us. So, so you're, you're giving them some income and it might be income that they wouldn't have seen. So that's an enticement for them. Correct. Yep. We uh, pay them a flat fee for, the, uh, for that um, uh, medical directorship and then we pay them a fee per CT scan. Right. And uh, so your group is benefiting, obviously, then from having somebody give a second read. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's perhaps even better patient care because you're getting uh, fresh eyes that may not be as sophisticated in the technology and technique, but certainly are great image specialists. Right. And I think there's probably also some medical legal protection there, too, by having an actual radiologist read and give an interpretation uh, for the imaging. And so then your group had to uh, sustain the cost of this technology through the facility fee. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So when we uh, we contract with the you know payers in our area, um, and we're uh, receiving somewhere between a hundred and two hundred dollars, uh, depending on the payer per CT scan in, in my area. And is that what fair market value is for CAT scans in our area? It seems to be yes. So it's it's competitive. Correct. So and with that. Um, you're doing, there's two of you, two foot and ankle specialists in your group in an area that that's what, uh, 250,000 people. Oh no, our area is well over a million. Um, a million. Yes. Yeah, so we have quite a few. Wow. We have, uh, uh, you know, five full-time foot and ankle orthopedic surgeons in my area. And then we have, uh, any number of podiatrists too. So the two of you though, are, are the only two in your in group. my group. Correct. And so you have one machine. Are you the only machine in, 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 in the, City? We are the only weight-bearing CT scanner that I'm aware of between Duke and North Carolina and then Washington, D.C. Wow. Interesting. Um, uh, but again, we don't, we don't solicit people to come in for that service uh, as part of our CON, um, although we do have uh, you know, relationships with other foot and ankle surgeons that you know, are, are planning on say, doing a total ankle arthroplasty, and they would like to get uh, a weight-bearing templated um, prefabricated guide. For that, they'll use our CT scanner and then send that off to the company to have that paid. Very good. Very interesting. So uh, let's get into that for a second. Sure. Uh, so you're, they're using it and you're using it in some of the ankles for uh, patient-specific instrumentation. How does that work? Um, so patient will come in. They have their CT scan done. There's a certain protocol for that. Um, we have the uh, lineup, and so there's uh, uh, cuts at the knee all the way through the tibia down to the ankle to confirm the rotation of the tibia and make sure that there's no significant deformity of the tibia that needs to be accounted for in the template. Um, that image is then uh, electronically sent to the company. Uh, the engineers at the company evaluate the imaging and then template out the, the ankle arthroplasty. And specifically, uh, the, uh, Curve Beam works with Stryker? Correct. Are there, um, and, and you, do you do other ankle replacements? Correct. Yeah, we use uh, uh, Stryker's uh, uh, in-bone technology for, for some patients, but other we do use other companies as well. And so uh, you find that the weight-bearing CAT scan is also in, informative for you, even if you're not making patient-specific instrumentation? Correct. Well, there's any number of companies that provide patient-specific instrumentation, and uh, the Curve Beam, uh, that technology is useful for, for all of these companies. Okay, great. Now, in terms of the um, number of scans that you need to do to be 
profitable. With two-man group, mm-hmm. two, uh, a million people in your population, five-foot-and-ankle guys in the region. Correct. Uh, you know, what sort of volume is natural and what... Um, you know, and what, and, and, are, and are you profitable? Mm-hmm. So I, my clinic, I'm in clinic uh, two days a week. I see somewhere between 50 and 60 patients on a normal clinic day. And typically I'm ordering five CT scans roughly per clinic um, for various reasons. Um, so our monthly total for our group, which is 21 orthopedic surgeons, but just myself and, and, and Dr. Campbell are really the heavy users, although occasionally we'll do uh, upper extremity CT scans or knee CT scans for, for various, usually traumatic reasons. Um, our group does about 50 CT scans a month um, on average. Um, we initially, I think, paid uh, somewhere around $250,000 for the CT scanner. Um, and uh, we had that paid off in the first two years uh, of, of having the scanner. So your group's happy with the, the uh, technology. Correct, yeah, I think that they're happy with it. Um, it's got great utility for us in terms of patient care, and then these additional you know, research applications that uh, we've uh, developed for it. So it's been a tremendous uh, asset for our group. Now, let's talk about your multi-specialty group because they probably are stuck in certain workflow paths. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, is kind of the way the world works. Everybody's just used to doing certain things. Um, you you've had love at first sight when you saw the weight-bearing CT. You said, that's going to change the way I see things. It's going to change the way I practice. It's going to help me to educate patients, maybe be a better surgeon. Um, but what about the other guys in your group? So you have, you have a trauma guy, and, and I think you had mentioned that they use it to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, upper extremity guys could also use it, right? Correct, yeah. So it's very useful for scaphoid fractures, for hook hamate fractures, um, and uh, arthritis of the hand and wrist uh, for preoperative planning, from what I understand from my from my hand colleagues. Are they underutilizing it because of workflow or because of what? I think it's probably a workflow issue, and then we've educated them you know, several times to, you know, please use the scanner. It's there. It's great. Um, but uh, they do love it um, when they remember to use it. I think one of the problems with these scanning modalities is that historically we've had to tell the patient, okay, well, we have this thing. We're not sure what's going on with your thing. It's, it's Something's funny, the screw, the osteotomy, your fracture, whatever it is. I need to send you to get an image, special imaging. So I'm going to get you to an MRI. We'll get you here, get you there. We hesitate unless we have a compelling issue um, and, and, and we can sell that compelling issue to the patient to make them make an appointment in another facility, take time out of their life, get it, and then maybe even get the CD and bring that back. It, right. it, it's a multi-step thing. And I think our workflow has taught us, like, don't, don't do that to a patient unless you really think you're going to make a difference. And we don't really know what we're going to find on these images sometimes. Right. That's why we do imaging. Uh, but with the workflow that you've experienced, uh, what would you say the evolution is there? You know, so the workflow of having the imaging in your office, not having to get a CD, not having to have a rescheduled patient. What, what, what happened in your brain in, uh, well, with the workflow and what would happen, you think, in the future with your hand colleagues and knee colleagues to have them kind of wake up. Mm-hmm. I mean, in an ideal world, it's exactly what you described. You have a patient come in, you have a problem, you get the CT scan, you can look at it immediately. 
you then have the patient there same day and go through your plan. Um, oftentimes, because of insurance reasons, typically, you have to get prior authorization for some of these scans, and so it doesn't happen quite as seamlessly. Um, I will frequently get the CT scan that day, do the prior authorization later, and then review the patient, review the CT scan with the patient as a telemedicine visit at a later time. And I think, you know, one positive thing out of COVID is that the telemedicine technology is extremely improved and uh, patients really appreciate that convenience of not having to sit in the doctor's office for an hour for their appointment when it's just a uh, radiology review, especially with screen sharing. You can show them the CT scan, you can review it together in real time. And I found that to be very useful. Now, okay, so that's that, that's your revelation and mm-hmm. that's your workflow. Right. So I'm a foot and ankle guy, half a million people in my area. I've got 10 partners. How do I get them excited, mm-hmm. non foot and ankle people, to to see the benefit for patient care uh, and, and to kind of change their mindset about workflow? I think seeing the images is probably the most important thing. So once you've experienced that, um, you know, tangible rotation of the 3D imaging and cube view. And once you've, you know, been able to apply that practically to a direct problem, that happens once or twice and you're kind of hooked on, on using the technology. And so I think that, you know, anybody that's seen and touched this has come away, changed from it, um, and uh, has realized that it's, it is a very powerful technology. Um, and so I think that the, the, probably the most important thing you can do to convince colleagues to, to try it is to have them try it. Um, show them how, it, how it's useful for you and, uh, you know, show them in the certain situations that can be helpful for them, particularly for tibial plateau fractures, uh, for, uh, you know, malalignment uh, issues around the knee, um, with, particularly with patellofemoral disorders. I think that there's some powerful uh, applications. And uh, the upper extremity guys, mm-hmm. they, they, they have trouble because nobody is like in competitive wheelbarrow racing anymore. Right. You know, remember o- that wheelbarrow <laughs> racing? The only, the only, that was, uh, that was a, almost an Olympic sport and there was a lot of weight bearing issues with that. Right. right? So that's now fallen off, but, <laughs> but how could we in, in, incentivize them to, to see what, what we're seeing, even though it's non weight bearing, are there. Are there other things that they could do with that, 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 uh, the technology? Yeah. The only athletes that walk on their hands are the gymnasts and the CrossFit athletes, I guess. But, uh, um, has anyone tried that? I, you know, I haven't had anybody do that, uh, do a handstand for their CT scan. Although I think it could probably be done. Um, I have had some ballerinas come in on point, um, that were having uh, FHL issues and other issues and, uh, um, you can really see the anatomy very differently when they're up on, on point in their shoes and you can have them, you know, do the CT scan in their shoe wear too, um, and, uh, really get an idea of what's going on with that. But, uh, to, to get back to your question for, for upper extremity issues, I mean, I think particularly for trauma, I think it's very useful to be able to get that CT scan, um, and, uh, have that applicable immediately, uh, particularly for, you know, screw position postoperatively for scaphoid fractures, I can imagine is very helpful. Um, and an evaluation of uh, uh, those hand and wrist injuries. Is there uh, is there a, a equivalent uh, stress views that hand guys get that you can do, like put weights on on the side of the hand, mm-hmm. uh, or you know I mean, to I, look at hands, wrist uh, instability, carpal instability, elbow instability. Have they not dreamed the dream? <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't talked with my hand partners about that, but I'm sure you could do a pencil grip view in the CT scanner or do a gamekeeper's thumb analysis with the CT scanner and, and really probably get some compelling imaging from that. Right. I mean, I think that it's just a matter of somebody just kind of saying, look, this is fire. 
This is what, you know, this, this, this not only burns things, it actually illuminates. It's, it's a really wonderful thing. Um, I think that, um, you know, we are, we, we are so naturally oriented towards weight bearing mm -hmm. and so naturally oriented to stress views uh, that I think it was a, a, a natural flow for the technology to come into foot and ankle first. But I think there's a whole world out there of information that has not even been dreamed of and uh, that could be obtained and, and, and build somebody's career. I mean, a hand surgeon's career that is specialist in these cartwheel guys or these, you know, handstand people. But I, I, it, it is exciting. And I think you're right. Getting them in front of the technology and trying some images would be good. Mm -hmm. um, any other things that you have to do in terms of administration and, and incentivizing or inspiring them, I should say, not incentivizing administration to get a, a weight-bearing CAT scan? Well, I think you need to put a, together a pro forma. So the CPT codes for CT scans are pretty standard, and you can look at those and see and you know, request from your insurer um, you know, what they would pay for that. You can you know, estimate how many CT scans are currently being done by your group and try to you know, prognosticate what volume of CT scans would be done, and then you can multiply that out and see if it makes sense for your group financially. But I would say that if you can make a case that you're going to be doing you know, certainly 40 to 50, you'll be very profitable, but probably 30 to 40, you'll, you'll, a month. you'll be able to, correct, a right. month, uh, you should be able to uh, pay for that. And your facility fee around what per, per case, depending on some carriers, right? It depends on the carrier. So certainly, you know, Medicaid and Medicare are lower um, around the, you know, $100 and less range. But uh, uh, for the private insurance, it's uh, typically between $100 and $200. All right. So let's, let's talk about like the break-even point. Let's talk about profitability. Because you're going to have to make this case for your business leaders, for your partners. Right. So, you know, typically the way you would do that is to create a pro forma. Um, so to look at what the payers in your area are paying per CT scan and those CPT codes are available. You can sometimes submit that to the carrier and they'll tell you uh, what they're paying in that area um, or what they would pay your group if you were going to get a CT scan. That can be very useful uh, to create that pro forma. Typically for most groups, it's going to be about 50 uh, CT scans per month. Um, to be profitable. That, now, that's of those scans that you're getting, the two foot and ankle guys, and mm -hmm. you have a 10-man group, right? Uh, no, we're a 23 uh, uh, and growing. 23-man uh, group. And women. And men and women, yes. Men, mankind. <laughs> men and womankind. So, uh, so 23, okay, and growing. The uh, two guys doing most of the scans, foot and ankle guys. Correct. Uh, what percentage of the scans are foot and ankle? I would say probably 80%. 80% in my group. So the other 18 or, or 20 or so mm -hmm. are, are not really doing very many. So, uh, But if you got them excited, mm -hmm. it could be tremendously productive for, for them and the group. Correct. I mean, in terms of exciting their patients, in terms of improving outcomes and giving themselves proper 360 evaluation of their, of their uh, outcomes uh, radiographically. Uh, so I think that that's very exciting with a great potential for sure. Correct. And I think that as we go to more patient-specific instrumentation in the hip and knee for hip and knee arthroplasty, we could probably make a strong case to our group and our arthroplasty partners that we should convert from our lineup to a high-rise um, and capture that additional volume. Right. And that's another area that you touched on. So the patient-specific jigs, not just applicable for ankle replacement. They're being used for osteotomy planning and other uh, surgeries. Correct. 
Do you, do you use it much for that at this point? I have for uh, some tibial osteotomies. I've used that technology and it's been really useful uh, for complex ferrous deformity of the, of the distal tibia. Um, and then, you know, then doing a total ankle arthroplasty afterwards. So you get the CT scan to correct the ferrous deformity of the tibia, let that heal, come back, do a second CT scan to do your templating for the ankle arthroplasty. And right now the knee and hip guys, well, the knee guys, are the ones that could easily use the scan right now. Correct. But they're not doing it. Not not currently. We have the uh, lineup which can do the knee, uh, but I think it's easier to do that with high-rise technology. Um, I think they have to go all the way up to the hip to do that templating, if I'm uh, correct. Right. So the knee guys are just looking at like tibial plateau fractures. Correct. And maybe some HTOs, and yeah, osteotomies. Correct. And patellofemoral issues. Right. And um, in terms of the... Uh, the potential for uh, taking some clinical guys and, and, and bringing them onto the academic stage. Uh, is that an exciting thing for you in particular and for your, your partners maybe? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't consider myself a research guy, but um, I am excited by the technology enough where I you know, actually started to do a little bit of research with it, um, which was part of the appeal and so is my partner. Uh, Michael Campbell, we both are, are interested in, in, you know, looking at our outcomes and um, looking at, uh, you know, the, the amazing images that you create with this and then the data that you can extrapolate from that. And so for a busy private practitioner, which you are, 50 to 60 patients, um, you know, the workflow is actually not that bad to co collect the data versus having them sit and do 30 pages of forms. This is part of the natural workflow, preoperative images, post-operative images, and then you sit down with the data. Correct. And I think, you know, as we're seeing more and more in other fields, you know, AI is doing more of the workflow and more of the workload. So, you know, it was easy for me. I just said, hey, I want AI to calculate the volume of the syndesmosis for me. Here's the parameters I want and tell me what the data is. And, you know, it comes out the other end. Yeah. So let's talk about that specifically. So your project in the syndesmosis is very interesting. Uh, it's a it's an area where we have a lot of trouble with regular uh, x-rays. Uh, we often have to go to stress x-rays. Uh, CAT scans, not so helpful on the subtle cases. MRIs will show the tear, but may not show the displacement. It's not going to show it under stress. What have you learned about the syndesmosis? And then tell us about your project. Yeah, so the specific question I had in mind um, when I designed the project was, you know, what do you do in the subset of patients that have an isolated tear of the anterior inferior tibial fibular ligament? What do you do with that? Do you repair that ligament? Do you not repair it? Does it make a difference? Um, and, you know, what is the effect on the overall volume of the syndesmosis? And I didn't see that really replicated well in the literature. Um, when I went to look. And so uh, when I, we created the study and I uh, wanted to try to do a randomized prospective study, which we did um, with uh, 20 sequential patients, we randomized them to either repair of the AITFL or just standard syndesmotic fixation. And then post-operatively at six weeks and three months uh, with what the patient weight bearing, we looked at the syndesmotic volume to see if that repair made a difference. Um, we did not see a strong difference between the two groups, but um, in the subset of patients that had Weber C fibula fractures, it does seem to be important in terms of repairing that AITFL. And so um, I'm going to take that data now and then probably create another study looking specifically at that fracture pattern with uh, you know higher uh, fibular fractures with uh, uh, more displacement of the syndesmosis, whether the repair of that ligament is uh, 
important or not. And, and what's driving you to do this? Is it just, you know, we want to make the world a better place? Is it better patient outcomes? Is, is it, you know, academic prestige? What, yeah, what's I driving you? I think just curiosity. You just yeah. want to know. Right. Um, and we, if you can know, why wouldn't you want to know? Right. Um, and so uh, that's the great thing about this technology is that you really have the ability to know all these things that were sort of hard to know before. It's like having a new telescope. If you can see stars that are further than you could see before, wouldn't you want to look? Um, and so that's really what compelled me to, to, to pursue research after taking basically a nine-year hiatus after I finished fellowship. And I think uh, that a lot of people, not just foot and ankle, uh, but a lot of the other uh, subspecialties, once they see the, the, the potential here, uh, they, will, they will all jump on board. And, and really, it could be a revolutionary change in how research is done. It shifts the research out of the academic centers to the private practice. Uh, I mean, I would say it takes away from the academic centers, but it gives the private practitioners a very powerful tool with high volume and no effect on workflow. Right. And that's really exciting because you are seeing stuff, you're doing stuff, and you actually now could report it in a very objective fashion. So I think this, this will change how academics are done. And uh, it's very exciting to, to hear of your, your study. Um, other studies that you're thinking of doing, uh, can you reveal it or you don't want to reveal it? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to talk about the things that I'm curious about. So uh, certainly there's been a lot of this that's already been published in the last two years. And so sometimes I have an idea and I look and then, you know, Scott Ellis has just published the same thing that I was thinking about doing. But, um, you know, looking at seismic position postoperatively, looking at the overall, you know, correction for, for various forefoot deformities, um, you know, looking at uh, how important is rotation of the capital fragment for for, uh, for bunion correction, you know, the overall width of the foot. I mean, we're just getting so much data and it seems like every time I open up um, a journal, there's a new uh, a weight-bearing CT scan study that's got some interesting data. Uh, certainly, progressive collapsing foot deformity is a whole, I mean, you could spend hours just talking about, you know, the different relationships that happen through the hind foot and the midfoot um, with, with that specific deformity related to weight-bearing CT scan, um, which is all things that we didn't know before that we're starting to understand a lot better now. And I can tell you the first four or five CT scans I looked at um, in close detail after uh, you're seeing patients with this pathology, I mean, you really start to understand that these feet are like snowflakes. No two are the same. They're all subtly different. The pathology is different. And the bony component of it is just one part of it, but it can give you some strong insights into the soft tissue part of it. It also needs to be addressed. Um, so it's really fascinating. Yes. Well, you mentioned soft tissue. Uh, have you used some of the uh, software to play with soft tissue visualization? Yeah. So I think that that's one very powerful thing um, for patient education um, and for uh, uh, presentations and such. You can subtract all the way out to get to the soft tissue layer of the foot and then create a uh, 3D model that you can spin around and you can show, uh, again, when you have the, uh, both feet two in the same image, I mean, you can show the, the normal foot, quote unquote, and the, the affected foot uh, very easily. And you can create some pretty powerful images that way in CubeView. Um, you know, the other thing that you can do with uh, uh, the soft tissue component of that too and, and extrapolating out is uh, there's some other software that you can use to be create orthotics. I don't know if you've messed with that at all. Um, but there's uh, third-party companies that now use that to create orthosis that you can fabricate in the office and, and supply to patients 
um, which I think is you know pretty captivating. Fascinating. And what about um, using the uh, technology if you have hardware? Some people say like, well, I, I got you know I get X-rays. I don't have like all this artifact. Uh, what do you do about that, or how do you how do you counter that? with your partners. Yeah. So, I mean, Curveview has some pretty uh, powerful proprietary technology where they can do uh, artifact subtraction as part of the imaging, which is, you know, really beneficial, especially if you're looking at a total ankle arthroplasty and you're, you want to look for gutter impingement. Um, I think, you know, previously we were getting spec CT, spec CT scans or, uh, you know, uh, other power, other imaging to do that. And I think artifact reduction. Correct. Yeah. But I think that, um, you know, just a standard weight bearing CT scan with, uh, with uh, artifact reduction works well. Uh, to evaluate that specific pathology. Yes. And uh, do you do anything regarding like joint space analysis at this point for like determining whether a patient needs an ankle clean out, an ankle osteotomy, an ankle fusion or ankle replacement? Have you developed anything? I don't have a personal algorithm yet. I don't have a personal algorithm for that. I kind of look at the patient, uh, try to assess what their needs are, what their goals are, and then look at the imaging and try to come up with a solution for that specific person. Uh, I don't know if I have, uh, you know, a, a flow chart, uh, uh, whether, you know, this one gets a fusion, this one gets an arthroplasty, this one gets some type of osteotomy. Do you think that your practice's ability to grow will be enhanced by you, you having this imaging technology? I can tell you that, you know, there, there are some parts of orthopedics that just seem to make sense when you look at them. I can tell you when I was a resident and when I was a medical student watching people put screws across the syndesmosis, I was sort of horrified. There's no real joint in the body where we put solid fixation across that and it never made sense to me. And the first time I saw flexible fixation across the syndesmosis, I was like, well, that's an idea that makes sense to me. Uh, Non-weight-bearing imaging. I don't know if you get this every once in a while, but you'll get a patient that comes into you referred from someplace that's had surgery that had non-weight-bearing preoperative imaging and it's horrifying. Um, and, uh, and I have a visceral reaction to that when they come in and see me. Um, I, I think that, you know, weight-bearing CT scan is one of these things that just seems to make sense at a prima facie, first principles basis, that this is important and this imaging modality is so much better because it's weight-bearing, um, that it just appeals to that first principle nature that people have. And so I think patients, make it makes sense to them. They want that. I've had workers comp, work comp case managers come to me because we they know that we have a weight-bearing CT scanner and specifically bring patients in uh, for an, either an independent medical examination or take over care um, because of that technology. So yes, it's definitely helped my practice grow. No, it's it's really fascinating. And, and I think from that level, uh, it is going to be something that most practices ultimately with at least one or two foot and ankle people say, hey, this is going to be worthwhile because there's mm-hmm. growth potential, not only based on knowledge and uh, patient outcomes and self-reflection, but also in terms of uh, being able to really uh, attract the next generation of people who are looking at things more dimensionally. You know, when you grow up with two dimensions, right. that's where you're stuck. Um, the... Uh, the potential to see it fully is so great that it may have even uh, spoiled some of the younger generation that they cannot look at anything that's two-dimensional. Right. And to your point, I mean, I think as you know, I sort of go beyond years in my practice when we start to recruit you know, more foot and ankle orthopedic surgeons into our practice, that's probably going to be something that they're going to want to make sure that we have um, if they been exposed to this technology as a resident and or a fellow, 
um, that's going to be something they're going to be looking for in their practice. Great. Um, is there any other words of inspiration you would give to our foot and ankle colleagues or orthopedics at large uh, if they're thinking about getting you know, this technology? Yeah, so I would say, you know, Curvebeam is a great company to work with. I would encourage you to reach out to them. Um, they were extremely helpful at every point in the way, you know, from our interest in terms of providing us more information um, to creating a pro forma to see if it would work financially for our group to the acquisition of the, uh, uh, of the device. And then um, after acquisition, they've been, you know, the, it doesn't stop there. You know, they help with maintenance and, you know, uh, with uh, workflow, with uh, creating imaging um, and storage uh, issues. And, you know, really any problem that you might have, they're always there to help. Um, so it's been a wonderful company to work with. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming today and sharing us your insight and your, your adventure through the weight bearing three-dimensional world. Thank you for having me. Pleasure.